Hello, hello. This is Reality of Reality, and I'm Aliza Rosen, a longtime TV producer and development executive. Every week on the podcast, I talk to interesting people in all aspects of unscripted content. Today on the podcast, Jonas Larson. Jonas is Comedy Central's Executive Vice President of Talent and Development. He hails from Denmark, a first for this podcast, and his amazing journey from Denmark to L.A. has a lot of twists and turns and may not be what you expect from the guy who went after Charlie Sheen to be roasted on the Comedy Central roast. We'll hear about how he got to where he is and how Temptation Island and the Joe Schmo show turned out to be pivotal moments in a really interesting career path. This is exciting. Jonas, welcome. Thank you. Very, very excited to have you on, to have someone representing an amazing network on. This is a big day on the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm glad to disappoint you. (laughs) (laughs) Not quite yet. We'll see. I'll check in in about 20 minutes. Um, Okay. So I always start by saying how I've met my guests. So I was thinking this morning, how do I know Jonas? And we met, I don't know if you remember this, a few years ago, I brought Bob Zamuda in for a meeting. That's right. And so for those who don't know, and shame on you if you don't, Bob is, was Andy Kaufman's sidekick slash, what writer, was Writer, slash everything. confidant, slash best friend. Slash everything. Yeah, and his yeah. alter ego, uh, why am I spacing on, who, his character Oh, you mean yeah. Tony Clifton? Cohen, Tony Clifton, exactly. So, <laughs> so millennials and kids at home, if you Google Tony Clifton, spoiler alert, that is you're Bob's in for a treat. Name. You're in for a treat, and um, and we had a really fun meeting. And Bob is a huge character, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I think that was one of my first, or maybe one of my only teleconference meetings because we had Christian in New York. Oh, also. that's right. That's exciting. right. Yeah, that was really. I felt very important. but we have like people in common i have joel coming on next joel gallon who's you know basically entrenched in comedy central world and the duffies who did uh not goddamn comedy jam for you guys wasn't originally it it was called originally called goddamn comedy jam but uh right you know i think uh i think uh we we decided to soften it for the advertisers Thank God. I, it's Midwest. very offensive. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so you, okay, let's start at the beginning. First of all, you're from Denmark, which yes. is makes you a shiny jewel in Los Angeles because you, <laughs> <laughs> you're you from another country. Um, and I think a lot of people are wishing that they could go to another country right now. So <laughs> you have that distinction. Now, did you actually grow up in Denmark? Yeah. Um, I'm born and raised. So no accent whatsoever. Well, no, detect, no detectable accent. Get me, get me drunk and you'll uh, – <laughs> there's certain words when I say them. Really? You'll, you'll go like, oh, yeah, he's Danish or something's up. You hear a trace. This guy. Something's up. I don't trust him. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, I was born and raised uh, in Denmark. My whole family is still uh, back there. Um, I moved to L.A. when I was 19. and um, For college? Bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. <laughs> no, I dropped out of college. Oh, nice. Good. And I was studying <laughs> math and physics, uh, which, as you know, is, you know, always— your... Essential for TV. Exactly. <laughs> uh, and I, I had always sort of had a dream of working in, 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 um, in entertainment in some way. You know, started out in movies. I really fell in love with movies, and I really wanted to. I think my first dream was to become a director— um, and you I have decided, no idea what a common theme this is on the podcast. <laughs> and, you know, I don't think I really knew what a director did at the time, <laughs> but that's what I wanted to do. What was your exposure in Denmark to film and stuff? Like, well, what, is, what were you into? You know, it's interesting. I, you know, I was sort of talking to my wife about this the other day, but, you know, we I was fortunate that growing up, 
my uh, my mom was one of the first ones to get a satellite dish wow. in Denmark. And there was a channel of 24-hour movie channel on that satellite dish. Uh, and that's before you were sort of paying for them. It was a okay. free, you know, thing. And I remember um, at sort of the age of 13 or 14 consuming every movie ever made. American, I mean, mostly American every, movies. American movies, like any everything. movie, anything. Right. And was it mostly um, comedy? No, it was just everything. everything. Okay. It was everything. I had no sort of like, I just was a, you know, blank canvas and Got was it. just being bombarded. Soaking it all in. And so, yeah, so, I, you know, that is where my love for, for movies really started. And I decided, I was like, all right, well, I got I to gotta make my own. So I started making short films and, and things like that with my friends. And they were terrible <laughs> uh, and pretentious and weird and funny. And, you know. Do they exist stuff. anywhere on like three quarter uh, inch? They do somewhere. <laughs> I, you know, I, I, I have a bunch of stuff at my mom's house that, you know, that. Uh, and does she still um, live in Denmark? She still lives in Denmark. I have four brothers that also they live all there. My, my dad. Um, so yeah, the whole, the, the whole Larson family, clan, the whole Larson clan is still back a lot in, of boys. in the homeland. Yeah. Five boys. Five boys total. Your poor yeah. mother. My poor mother. <laughs> poor long suffering mother. <laughs> Mom, I'm sorry. Aww. No, I'm not really sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so you're the only one to come here. That's interesting. I am. Yeah. And so you come here at 19, you want to be, uh, Francis Ford Coppola or yep. whatever. And then you end up. And then I get hit with a reality. <laughs> Of Bam! Reality. <laughs> reality, reality. Um, and no, and then I I had to sort of figure out my path. Okay. Right? Like anybody else that comes to L.A. to pursue their dreams in entertainment, you know, it's a, a slightly overwhelming um, city in terms of its size, in terms of, you know, where do you begin? Right. What do you, what do, it's you do? It's overwhelming. And, and also, I'm assuming you knew no one here. None. <laughs> Not nothing. a soul. <laughs> no one, nothing. That was pretty ballsy to come on your own. And how'd you yeah. live? Like, did you have any money? I mean, I'm being a little yeah, nosy no, no, here. No, but... <laughs> please. Um, n- no, I didn't really have any money. I, well, I started out, I came over here as sort of like kind of an exchange student for like nine months. I stayed with a family um, just to kind of get my bearings. Okay. And, uh, and then I decided from there, like, I'm going to. I'm going to make the leap. I'm going to move over, and I'm just going to figure it out. So I went back home. I made a little bit of money. I think I had like two grand. That's significant for a 19-year-old. Yeah. Um, What were you doing? How did you do it? um, How did I make my two grand? I worked in a bar. There you go. I was a bartender. Okay. And I I started doing these like little, you know— Doors, covers, nights. Love it. Um, and uh, and made a little bit of cash. And then I basically came over with a backpack and, and two grand. And I was lucky to have found a rent control apartment in Santa Monica. Wow. Uh, which was an beginner's incredible. Luck. It was <laughs> be- total beginner's luck. It was the 16th floor in Santa Monica with a view all over the bay. It was one of the most, and it was $450 what? a month. Uh, one of those things where you're like, oh, well, yeah, it's going to be easy. Life in L.A. is super <laughs> right. easy. What are people complaining about? Um, and then nice. reality set in. <laughs> um, no, and then and then it was really about the first step was survive, right? Yeah, Get a right. job, make some money, figure out a way to just pay the bills to stay. Yeah. And then, you know, sort of the second part of that is really start making friendships and, and make, making connections 
to kind of just get your foot in the door. Yeah. And I was really just intent on like, I'd do anything. Honestly, I was right. just, I'll just, do anything. I'll do it for free. I don't care. Attention, young people. That is the lesson. Do it. Seriously. It is because don't you find that that's not so much I, I don't know, now? but I, I, I do think that the ones that really are hungry and want to, um, will, will do anything to get their foot in the door are the ones that will, succeed. you know, usually succeed or at least get pretty far. I agree. So what, what did you do at the beginning? So, you know, I came here, I was, uh, I did not have my work papers. And, so you were you an know, illegal. I was an illegal alien. Wow. For five years. Really? For five years. Yep. Um, did you ever worry? Or you yeah. didn't think about it? Yeah. Of course, you know, you can't, I couldn't really travel back. You did you know? consider marrying an American woman? Uh, I considered all <laughs> options, uh, but I did not want to do that. I didn't really feel like I wanted to sort of circumvent the system with something like that it felt sort of like there was too many yeah too complicated too complicated too many unknowns and also it's fraud so you know right there (laughs) didn't didn't really want even though i was illegal (laughs) i sort of figured sooner or later some opportunity will present itself and and i uh so how did you go five years like didn't you have to give social security number and stuff like that yeah i mean (laughs) you you find that most people don't check those things wow. you know um and and so i was lucky that i worked in restaurants i worked in bar you yeah. know and uh and you sort of realize like yeah that's not really a, at that time yeah was not a big deal got it um it's still it was still illegal and when i <laughs> became you know uh, a, a resident um i you know you pay a fine for being illegal and and oh then, really? Is it accumulative? Then, is it like for the five years? No, really it was, I think it was twelve hundred bucks. Really? Okay, that's worth <laughs> at it. The time. It's worth the now, price of five now years. Now I think you get deported. Yeah, like, yeah. You know, now you're out. Now you know Trump will show up at exactly. your door. Exactly. Show you show you out personally, but uh-huh. you, you know. So, um, I um, I really sort of f- focused on just getting my foot in the door. And I literally would just knock on anybody's door that would listen to me. And most people would not. <laughs> right. That's just the— What was your pitch? I don't know if I had a was pitch. Was it in Danish? You know what? I was, it was in Danish. It was, you know— Please, sir, can I have some more? <laughs> you know, I just did my Swedish chef and they took right. pity on me. No, I, uh, I, I think I just—I was enthusiastic and I just wanted to do it because I thought it was fun. Yeah. You know, like it was a not just— something I wanted to do to make money. I've actually, frankly, never really cared yeah. about the money. <laughs> um, I probably shouldn't say that. But, no, you, but, know, that but a, you know, like I really yeah. didn't care I, because it wasn't about money for me. It was yeah. about my own sort of personal fulfillment right. and doing something that I really cared about yes. and I was passionate about. Um, and finding your way. And, and I came here, as I mentioned, to, to be a director. Yeah. And I realized sort of relatively quickly that my skill set really lent itself um, to being a producer. Mm -hmm. And so I started focusing more on that. What was it about your skill set that made you more of a producer? I think I'm just inherently someone that likes to solve problems. Yeah. I just, I enjoy it. It's like a puzzle for me. Um, It's it's easy, you know, in a way, you know, like, well, 
here's the thing. <laughs> it's easy to solve problems that you know that you have, right? Right. It's really hard to anticipate problems you don't know you're going to have and be prepared for them. Mm -hmm. But I've always been wired in, in, in a way that allows me to sort of like, you know, identify solutions fairly quickly. Great skill. Um, so that, that, that helped me a lot in the beginning and also sort of, you know, just to stay mentally kind of like, um, you know, be, be sort of mentally prepared for what's coming because you just don't know and you have to always just keep going in, you know, because you're going to be, there's going to be so many setbacks or disappointments, you know, on, on the path of any career, especially mm -hmm. when you start from nothing. Right. Um, and uh, so, you know, you, you have to find a way to keep sort of a positive attitude. Good advice. Um, what was your first break? My first break, it, it's an interesting, you know, I've had a very weird zigzaggy career. So I met when I was a bartender in Santa Monica at the Third Street Bar and Grill. That's it no still exists? There. It's still there. It's called something else. Okay. I can't remember what it's called now. Um, and um, this guy who I'm now blanking on his name, <laughs> he was the original, he was the guy who played, played the prisoner uh, in the series, The Prisoner. Uh, in the 60s. Oh, and he wow. also played the king in Braveheart. Okay. Um, oh, man. why? I can look him up. I can't believe I'm blanking <laughs> on him. You know, are you editing this? Well, I am editing. I <laughs> All am right, editing. good. So maybe we can come back to that one. Okay. Um, and um, anyway, he was sort of a regular customer. He would come in every day at four o'clock, have his pint, and then, you know, go home. And we sort of became friendly over, over the years. And I worked there for, you know, three or four years. Um, and he encouraged me to kind of just do it, you yeah. know, go out and make stuff. Yeah. And he actually gave me all his Super 8 equipment. Wow. And so that was sort now of like a fun. Yourself. I know. <laughs> well, you know, Super 8 was way old school back then too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But That's cool. it was a cool look. Yeah, and I liked yeah. It, and we talked a lot about that. That's and, awesome. Um, so anyway, so that was like, it wasn't my first break, but that was right. my first like, okay, yeah. there may be like opportunity, you know. And then I... Um, a friend of mine introduced me to these uh, two guys, Eric Manis and Martin Coonert, who had a uh, small post-production company in Hollywood. And they were basically servicing sort of independent film and music videos or pretty much anything they could get their hands on. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, my friend was editing something. She was like, hey, could you help me edit this thing? And I think I'd taken a course in nonlinear editing at the time. Right. Uh, and I said, sure. And I'd so fun. No idea right. what I was doing. Um, Fake so it till you make it. Exactly. And that, you know, listen, that you is a, to. you know, a consistent, <laughs> you know, theme throughout Shh, my don't career. Don't tell anyone. Uh, they all know. Um, but um, uh, so I sat down and I, you know, and I and I befriended these two guys who own the company. And yeah. they eventually sort of said, hey, do you want to be an assistant editor on this documentary that we have coming in? And I said, Sure. And basically, my job was to spend to to sit down and sync up all this footage that they got. They had, you know, a hundred hours of footage. It was a, a, for a movie called Rhyme or Reason. It was what was a, it about? A, about the sort of history of hip hop. Oh, cool! Um, it was really a cool project. Um, did it did it go? Like, did it? Get uh, yeah, released? yeah. It was. It was. It was. It got got released and everything. Wow! And, um, and you were the AE on it. 
Yeah. And, uh, you and had no I, idea what you were doing. I had no idea. Well, they didn't really have any idea. Perfect. Uh, that's, that's the that's ideal situation. True. Peter Spire, who was a director, is a supremely talented guy, an old friend. And, okay. And, um, is he a documentarian? Yeah. He had done a, a short subject documentary on Sally Mann, the photographer. Oh, yeah. That was nominated for an Academy Award. Wow. So he was sort of, you know, the, you know, the director on it. Um, but his producing team had shot all this footage on Super 16 and forgotten to use slates. Oh, my so God. So for all the old schoolers out there, <laughs> yeah. you know, you would record sound and film separately, and then you would sync it up using the slate. So I had to, by visual cue and listening to all these audio tapes that were not labeled, wow. sync up all this footage. But yep. it was a great learning experience, mm-hmm. right? So, And this is another consistent theme, is that every step is an opportunity to learn what to do and what not to do in this case. I totally agree. And I'll even say another lesson there is that um, a lot of times like interns or PA level or assistant level, they are doing a job they think is busy work or they think is, you know, in the big scheme of things doesn't matter. That particular job may have seemed like a low man on the totem pole type of job, but without it, it could have never been made. Right. You know? Yeah, no, it was an important part of it to have it all sort of figured out and so that they could actually start cutting the movie. Right. And, and yeah, I mean, like, and I think that's important. It's an important point. I think, you know, no matter where you sit on the totem pole, you can make a difference. Right. Absolutely. You know, you can contribute for real to the end product. Yep. And and I think that's something you should never forget, you know, and you should always make yourself available um, to go the extra mile for something. That's what sets you apart. You know, I you know, no one paid me for this, by the way. I didn't get. Oh, paid. wow. Yeah, yeah, it was free. It was a Did free you get credit. I think so. OK, I, you know what? I, I actually <laughs> don't, even don't know. know. I don't know. Wow. But uh, it's not on IMDb. Wow. So uh, maybe I should go back. Yeah. yeah. What the hell? What the hell happened? Um, but anyway, you got your I, hands dirty. I got my hands dirty. And you know what? I didn't care about the credit. I didn't care about any. I didn't care about the money. I cared about the experience. I wanted to see how is this really made? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I obviously had the sort of basics, but I had no idea sort of like all the different sort of, you know, facets of it. Yeah. So I got more and more involved on the post-production side. And yeah. that was really my first entry into it. Um, and I eventually started editing. I cut a couple of music videos and, you know, um, and uh, and then also at the same time sort of got an opportunity to produce some small projects here and there. Um, and it was very fulfilling to me. <laughs> That's amazing. So what, at that point in your career, between the music videos and producing some small projects, where where was your head at in terms of where you wanted to go with it all? I think at that time I was still very much in a, in a you know, not quite sure where things would take. And I think I was just open to any and all kind of, you know, possibilities of where it could take me. Okay. But I knew that understanding editing is was a key thing in storytelling. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, how do you tell a story effectively using visuals? Um, and I would always apply that, especially when I was cutting music videos because they're so montage-based. You know, is there a way to sort of, you know, really kind of to use images to tell a story, not mm-hmm. just words. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I really became fascinated with that and 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 I, I really enjoyed it. Um, and eventually I actually ended up taking over the company that I worked for, uh, Eric and Martin, um, sold a big script uh, to Arnold Copelson. Yeah. Um, and, um, and they decided 
that's the direction that they wanted to go. They wanted to to really focus on writing, producing, and directing. And they gave me the opportunity to take over the company. So at age 23, I had this post-production company, (laughs) small, tiny. But still. Located up on Wilshire Boulevard right across from the tar pits. And and then I spent two or three agonizing years, you know, trying to make that business work in a super competitive environment. (laughs) Right. So you're basically hustling for post-work. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And how do you, how did you do that at 23? Like, how did you even know how to do that? Well, you know, with any, you know, you use any sort of relationship or or connection that you have to sort of try to bring business in, you know, really tapping into that sort of, um, to the music video community, any kind of independent film. Yeah. Um, I was I had befriended um, the Los Angeles Independent Film Festival, which is now the Los Angeles Film Festival. Mm-hmm. Um, and Robert Faust, who's now one of my closest friends, um, uh, was the guy who created the festival. And I had some extra office space in my office, and he needed some office space for the festival. And I said, well, why don't you guys just work out of my office? Yeah. And so I had this great revolving door of talent that would come in and out for the festival and um, so there was a little bit of a halo effect on on my business, uh, but ultimately it's not a, it's it wasn't a business that I really wanted to be. Yeah, in, right, you right. know, like I like the editing the part of it, but right. I, you know, the business of post production right. is not. It's a, a rough business. It's a rough business. Super competitive, very expensive. It requires an incredible amount of of cash to keep, uh, you know, up to date with the technology, at least at the time. I got out of that business and I realized I'm like, this is not for me. And I sort of, you know, I took a financial hit and, you know, which which stung, especially at that point, I was like 25 or 26. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of wrapped everything up. I took a bit of a, a hiatus from everything to kind of lick my wounds. I, you know, whenever you have your first big failure uh, and... You all will at some point. I hope not, but you yeah. know, I think it was it's a good actually. Thing. To be honest with you, it was the greatest um, learning experience of my career. What was the biggest takeaway? Well, the biggest takeaway was you're not going to die. <laughs> you don't have cancer. <laughs> it's totally, you know, you can overcome it. Yeah, and you just have to, you know, refocus your efforts. Right, and and it taught you what you didn't want. Right. And it taught you sort of like things to do and not to do. You know, you learn right. a lot running your own business. Um, so, did it teach you that you never wanted your own business again? No, because I you know, there's more to the story later. <laughs> later, we'll get back into my own business. Okay, but it is hard to do. You know, to run your own business in Hollywood. You know, it is or a, anywhere. A, it it is in anywhere, but especially mm-hmm. I think in Hollywood because there is such a constant turnover and change in the in the way that. It's made both from the technology standpoint and creatively and who's in charge. Yeah, and competition. Relationships and competition, all that good stuff. Um, so I took um, six months. I went um, back home for a month to Denmark to see my parents, which was no no real help. Uh, you <laughs> know, Yeah. But, you know, I think they saw it as an opportunity. It's like, well, why don't you come home? Right. You know, we now done you've gotten this... it out of your system. Right. We done with this nonsense. Um, and I, you know, there was just something deep down in my soul that just, I was like, I can't give I'm not up. Done. Yeah. I'm not, I can't, I've got the bug. I, you know, I have to see this through. Mm-hmm. So I spent sort of an agonizing month um, back in in Denmark, and you know, um, and I realized, okay, well, 
maybe I should go over and just kind of get the lay of the land again. I, I don't know. I was very conflicted. Mm-hmm. And I, I came back to L.A. and I remember returning and it was a stack of mail. And, you know, there was a lot of bills yeah, right. like, oh, <laughs> and they were no fun right. and a lot of, you know, trash. And I remember going through and sorting out my bills. Yeah. And um, at that time you would get, well, I guess you still do, get a ton of sort of like credit cards that would send you a, you know, a card yep. uh, pre-approved or whatever. And you and got I, all I of remember them. just throwing them all out. <laughs> oh, I, like, I didn't want to be tempted, you know, yeah. like to get into that whole Racket. business. So I, I – Threw them all in the trash. Uh, and I remember sort of like after going through this giant stack of them, it was like two feet high. I remember mm-hmm. it clearly. And um, I remember going like, there was this one envelope. And I've never done it before or since, mm-hmm. really. And I remember kind of going like, what was that? Like, it looked different than the other visa, you know, uh, solicitations that I got. And I went back into the trash and I fished it out and... On the envelope, it said National Visa Processing Center. And I was like, huh, that's curious. I opened it up. And I remembered six months ago, I had applied for the green card lottery. Uh, And the green card lottery is that visa. That (laughs) visa. Um, The green card lottery uh, every year selects about 50,000 people to to receive a a green card. And is that the only way you can get it, by the way? Other than no, there's, there's other ways, but, okay. you know, it was the only way I could get it. Got it. it. You okay. know, I didn't have any, quote, unquote, special skills. But you have forgotten that you had even applied. You know, it, it had sort of, you know. Yeah, slipped your mind. Because, you know, it happened so long ago, and I didn't expect, right. you know, it's, for it to come through. Chance. So um, so when I saw it, I opened it up, and I was like, congratulations, you've been selected to receive this thing. Now you have to um, go through the sort of interview process and background checks and all that stuff. And I was like, okay, well, so I called a lawyer who had been recommended. And they said, okay, well, the pr- whole process is going to cost you, I can't remember, like three or four grand. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow. Just I to am, get a green card? Well, for the fines and the lawyer <laughs> fees Got and the processing fees and Got all that stuff. And, um, and I was like, well, that's great, but I'm broke. Right, yeah. <laughs> Can we do deferred payments? I just, I just you know, closed yeah. down shop on this yeah, thing. Yeah. So – <laughs> uh, he said, okay, well, here's the thing. You know, let me know when you have the funds to get it all done, uh, and then we'll go from there. And I said, okay, great. Um, you have a year. I said, okay. Oh, wow. So I went and I took a job at Lightning Dubs, which was a duplication facility. I Dub just house. needed to make, make, a, make yeah. the money. And, um, uh, and I made uh, some money. I finally, you know, called the, the lawyer, and he goes, okay, well, let me call the the immigration service and and see and they said okay well you have a you'll have an interview but it's a week before the lottery closes so this is now 11 and a half uh, oh, you know, wow. more than 11 and a half a half months um you know after i had been selected um so i was like okay well <laughs> just by the nick of yeah, you know, really? by, the, by the skin of my teeth um and uh and i got in and i got my interview and and you know, passed, and the guy goes, uh, well, you've been, you know, as far as I'm concerned, you're approved, but I don't know if there are any more green cards left. What? Because apparently they select 100,000 people, but they only give out 50 because so many people don't fulfill the criteria. 
So he's like, I have to call Washington and make sure that there is anything left. So that you sounds know, crazy. It was, it was <laughs> what crazy. What the hell? And, Can't they just uh, like make one up? Yeah, I know. That's craziness. So um, wow. So I went back. I remember he was like, "Come back on Wednesday, right. and I'll let you know." And I, you know, went back in, and I remember seeing him from across the room. He didn't indicate anything, and I was like, "All right, well, this could go either way." And I remember him asking uh, for my passport. I was like, oh, man, that's it. Yeah. He's going to just kick me out right, right now. I don't. And I remember him stamping <gasps> it, handing it back to me and going, welcome to the United States. Wow. And I Did you cry? I was like, I know. I was in <laughs> shock. <laughs> I mean, you're a little sort of like. What's happening? You know, like, what happened? Yeah. Did this actually just happen? Right. So there was no ceremony around it, right? There's no fireworks. There's no There's nothing. no, it just <laughs> happened. It just happens. It's very sort of matter of fact. And uh, wow. and I remember driving home a little bit in a daze, kind of going like, oh, shit, um, this, right. this is it. I'm legal. I'm but you're not a citizen at that point, right? That's a whole other process. Correct. And Correct. then did, have you— I am a citizen now. And when how long—I mean, we're jumping ahead. You know what? I, actually, I just became a citizen uh, last year. I hope it was before the election. It was before the election so that I could vote for Trump. And, right, you know, obviously. I'm with the outcome. No, I— uh, You wanted to make I, sure you weren't I deported. I honestly <laughs> said to my wife— you know, I'd wanted to do it for a while, yeah. but I didn't want to give up my Danish uh, Oh, you have to renounce your others? You can't be well, a dual citizen? F- you can f- in America, but you can't in Denmark. Really? So they changed the laws uh, a couple of years ago, uh, so that allowing for dual, dual citizenship. Got it. Okay. Um, and so I decided, and, and once I saw the sort of rise of Trump, I was like, well, you yeah, know what? I want time. to be able to vote in this election. This is really important to me. Right. And I want to be able to get out of my needs. Exactly. <laughs> and I also don't want to get kicked out right. unnecessarily. Seriously. You know? I mean, you hear horror stories. and You do. And, and um, how arbitrary it is. Yeah. So I, I, I've— um, Mazel tov. You're, uh, you're one of you. us now. I am one of you guys. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> very very happy to be. Yeah. Um, it's it's but, wonderful. Yeah, so that was, that was uh, actually a very— Easy process. Right, I've been here for so long. Right. Okay. So going back, so you become a you become legal mm-hmm. uh, in in the U.S. and then you've licked your wounds, and then what happens? So now, sort of phase two. Now yeah. I'm really sort of trying to figure out, like, all right, well, I've got to get my, I got to get something under my belt. <laughs> going, that's, you know. Um, and I had a had some friends who worked in television. Um, and they worked at a, a company called ZM Productions, um, later known as Rocket Science Laboratories. Oh, right. And um, and they needed a post supervisor on a project, and um, it was for a director by the name of Ted Hames, who I love and adore, and uh, he uh, uh, was known as a very uh, temperamental uh, director. Uh, and I was sort of terrified of him. And <laughs> yeah. Everybody was terrified of him because he was not afraid to, you know, express his opinions about people's work. He was a and, yeller. Uh, no, he wasn't a yeller, but he was just tough. Yeah. And uh, and I realized, you know, sort of early on that he really cared. Like it didn't come from a place of ego mm-hmm. or wanting to put people down right. just because. It was about the work. It was really about the work and and pushing people to do great things. And he had been so used to, you know, kids that would come in and do sort of a half-assed job and he had to go clean it up that mm-hmm. he sort of had no patience for it. Was it for a scripted show? It was for, no, it was for a Fox um, special uh, called Stalking the Stalkers. Oh. And uh, it I was like basically it. a clip show around <laughs> stalkers. Right. 
Um, and did we did like you hunted them down and then they got in trouble? No. So th- we would oh. basically tell stories about you know, it was sort of like you know stories of real stalkers and there was some recreations and there was some. Okay. Um, anyway, I you know I don't think it was you know any of our best work, but it <laughs> right. certainly paid the bill and got me you know my foot in the door. Uh, and and through Ted, you know, he gave me sort of a, a glowing review, I think, and and eventually I ended up becoming the sort of head of post production for Rocket Science. Um, and that's kind of a quick ascent. I mean, just in terms of how the ladder usually works, mm-hmm. to to start as a post supervisor when you've really not had that much experience in post is pretty impressive, and then to climb the ranks so quickly. Yeah, I think you know I was sort of good at the technical side, mm-hmm. and I understood the creative side. Right, it was a so I sort combo. of you know had kind of was able to kind of straddle both. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've always been really good at adapting. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, I mean, we talked about faking it to you, you make it. And not that I've faked it necessarily, but I, I didn't know anything about television production. I yeah. didn't know how, what the deliverables were. I didn't even know what deliver, deliverables <laughs> were. By the way. <laughs> Actual deliverables. Well, it's very apropos of who you work for because it's not rocket science. Exactly. Right, which is probably why they And that was really it. That. You know, like when, when you sort of really distill it down, most of what we do isn't really that difficult. It's right. just knowing, you know, how to do it and when, when to do it and, you know, and sort of knowing kind of the vernacular of the yeah, business. Yeah, and you either in. get it or you don't. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty, you know, I mean, you're it either going to— It was not that difficult. <laughs> but, of course, you—, you you have not. I had no frame of reference. I didn't know if right. I was doing a good job. I could have sucked just as easily, you know. So, what kinds of shows did you oversee in post? Um, I oversaw a bunch of different stuff. I mean, we did a lot of EPKs back then. Those um, are electronic press kits. Exactly. Do those still exist? I don't know. <laughs> I don't think they do. I don't know. It doesn't seem like <laughs> no. it. Those, those I are remember always, getting them at VHS. Extras. Yeah. And, you know, that kind My of day, stuff. it was VHS. Um, but they started moving into reality quite heavily right around um, the sort of like very, very early, you know, 2000s. Uh, days of, of reality. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, probably in the, it was like 1999, I want to oh, wow. say, or 98. Um, right around when, so before Survivor had come to America, mm-hmm. you know, we started developing, um, or they started developing and. That's where Temptation Island sort of came out of right. and all that stuff. Um, but I think uh, some I did a lot of different sort of specials. From We did a special for Ally McBeal and, you know, we did a, a terrible uh, – not a terrible – it was actually really good. But it was it was called The World's Nastiest Neighbors. It was a terrible title. Uh, you know, oh, I love the title. Awful, awful, it's very awful Fox, title. 2000. Very Fox. <laughs> so good. Um, but it was essentially a little documentary around sort of like neighbor feuds. And it was fascinating. And we, I got to travel around and, and do a I, bunch of uh, I think that would be a great show now still. Yeah. You know, or like a people's court where you have yeah. to settle a neighbor dispute, <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, there's um, a lot of them. But it was it was fascinating. Yeah. And we so got you to got to be in the field, these, too. Know, I got to be in the field. But see, this is another part of it. Like they, you know, a lot of this stuff was done for really low budgets. Yeah. And on that one, I was hired also to be a segment producer. Cool. Uh, specifically. And I remember asking, could I go into the field? And they were like, ah, sorry, we don't have the money. Right. And I go, well, maybe if I also did sound, because you're going to need a sound guy. 
And um, and I remember them going like, oh, okay, yeah, I guess if you want to do sound too. And I was so like, you had to learn sound. Yeah. No. <laughs> you know, I, I honestly, exactly. I mean, I I didn't I had no idea how to do you Perfect. know field sound. So um, I I learned very quickly. Love and, it. Uh, and then that's what I did. So I was segment producer by night and, and <laughs> sound, sound guy, guy by day. day. What a great that's that's such a great lesson there. So how long were you with Rocket Science? I was there until 1999. Okay. So I was there probably for like three years. Okay, I want to say something like that. And then what? And then back to my old friends Eric and Martin. Ah, who. Um, it's like the uh, mafia. Exactly. They reeled you back in. They, you know, we had remained close over the years and and they had um, written a script, which was sort of like, uh, it was kind of a horror film about an MTV show that <laughs> has a, kind of a reality show set in a, in a, um, uh, in a haunted house. And then all of a sudden the kids start dying off. Right. So there's sort Is this of like. Blair Witch? It was right around the time of Blair Witch, <laughs> like, right? And um, their agent had said, well, you know, I don't know if we, you know, if this thing is going to sell, but what about doing the reality show in there? Why don't we take, you know, five kids, put them in a haunted location and... Um, the haunted real world. Well, exactly. It sort of became, uh, and that became MTV's fear. Oh, which was, hello. Yeah. So I worked... So you helped create that. Yeah. Incredible. So well, I you know I helped develop the, well, the pilot and yeah. and the format uh, for it. So I worked um, with George for sure and uh, and Martin specifically mm -hmm. on kind of like formatting formatting out the show, figuring out you know how to kind of execute it because it was really difficult. So it was right around the time of Blair Witch, and we really liked the idea of them shooting their own experiences, yes. and we liked the energy that that also kind of created and the kind of creepiness of and the intimacy of. Was it like a hybridy show? Was it slight, lightly scripted? I don't remember. No, it wasn't. It was, it was totally um, unscripted. It was totally unscripted. Okay. Um, essentially, you take five kids, you put them in a haunted location. Mm -hmm. uh, we produced a little documentary about each location we, we went so to to give you sort of, you know, background and yep. scare the shit out of you. Right. <laughs> and then their Love jobs it. are to investigate different sort of hauntings or whatever around there. Yeah. And if they stayed... Um, for, you know, uh, all nights, uh, they would get five grand. And if they didn't, they got nothing. Nice. Was it self-contained? <clears throat> it was, yeah. Nice. Okay. Cool. So it was a really cool show and, yeah. and kind of ahead of its time, I think. Where was the haunted the man? Where were they? Well, the, for the pilot, we went to West Virginia. Oh, to God. The, that sounds scary. Um, to a prison <laughs> uh, that was built on an old Indian burial ground. Oh, God. Um did yeah. you ever have any weird experiences in the field, like where you really felt like I had a couple of like, <laughs> like odd, this is really damn haunted, odd, odd stuff. I'm, I, you know, I don't believe in ghosts, right. but but <laughs> you know, sometimes when you spend time in these places, you know, there are weird things that happen. Oh, I totally know, believe. A, I know. totally believe it. I, you know, I have many stories, but, and I, I don't. Maybe that's for another time. But you know, <laughs> that's for our haunted uh, edition, exactly. Jonas. I was going to say that's for the <laughs> Halloween episode. Yeah, <laughs> very special reality, reality. Cool. So then what? So I was on that for a couple of seasons um, and um, and really enjoyed the creative. And I uh, ended up working with Chris Abrego, who mm -hmm. was a supervising producer on that. Uh, he was brought in for the series. Um, and, um, and then, you know, we did two seasons. And then uh, I think I did – I got a call from – 
someone who used to work at Rocket Science and said, hey, we're doing Temptation Island International. And essentially it was, you know, we had set up um, on an island in Honduras. Wow. Um, a um, sort of a, a, a setup where various territories could come in and shoot their version of Temptation Island. And so I was there for three or four months um, overseeing um, the 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 different territories. So we ran through five or six different, you know, uh, territories from around the world that would do their own version. And it was, it was interesting. So it you was, were producing? Yeah. Um, but, you know, we were sort of the American team. So we okay. took care of the infrastructure and then different territories bring in their own uh, cast and, uh, you know, uh, creative team. Okay, so let's discuss that for a moment. Temptation Island mm-hmm. was that was quite the show back in the day. <laughs> I mean, wh- how much were you? I don't know how much you're allowed to reveal, but how much were you actually producing? And by producing, I mean mm-hmm. manipulating the action. Because so the premise of the show is basically take couples and see if they cheat on each other. Right. Um, not much. <laughs> right. You know, I mean, they didn't like, need a lot of coaxing. They didn't need. It's all about the I, casting. And, and I, to be honest with you, I think that's something for me at least that has always been consistent in my career. I have never been a big fan of meddling. Yeah. Um, I believe that if you are patient and you cast the right people and you set up the right sort of environment, you don't need to do anything. Crazy shit will happen. Because stuff will happen that you can't anticipate or you can't write. You can't. (laughs) It's much better than what you you know, try to force them to do. Um, and when you start creating sort of like Ruins. fake conflict, yep. it just reeks of inauthenticity. 100%. I feel like there's been backlash. You know, like I feel mm-hmm. like it went so far the other way and now we're returning to authenticity more because viewers just saw through it. Yeah. You know? It's so awful. I agree with that. Um, was it fun? It was interesting. Uh, <laughs> I was there with some it. good friends, but um, and made some good friends, and you know, it certainly. I mean, it felt like a war zone. Yeah. Um, it was. I mean, everything that could go wrong went wrong. We had all kinds of crazy things that happened. <laughs> Security guards that accidentally shot themselves. In no. The foot. Oh my god. We had. I mean, a hurricane that came in. You know, like it was just. What People were the conditions? The, it, like, the, Honduras is not exactly, uh, you know, We luxury. were on this uh, little island called Roatan. Roatan. And, um, you know, it was sort of like, it was a place where a lot of expats would sort of, you know, retire. Um so there was sort of, you know, kind of wealthy people right, living there. Right, um, And then super poor. The, and super poor, right? And the local population were, were definitely, you know— um, struggling and so it, it was tricky you know we had a lot of i mean we had to pay off the police and right. you know all that stuff <laughs> and all maybe those not countries. pay them right. off like per se but right. certainly them. you know pay for their services right? right in cash so um so there was a lot of that kind of stuff um it was really challenging Intense. and and but i've always been sort of a big fan of like, as long as you know you can survive something, it makes you a lot stronger, right? You know, it doesn't kill you. It makes, you, know, you, makes you stronger. And so, I, yeah, I, you know, I, I think it was just an amazing learning experience, again, on what to do and a lot of what not to do. Right. Um, it's a consistent theme in my life, I guess. Right. So let's fast forward <laughs> a little bit. So you did you stay on the production company side for how many years? Well... 
I, well, well, I went on to work a lot with Stone Stanley Entertainment mm-hmm. uh, at the time. Which became and Stone and Company. Stone and Company. Right. Um, and I'd done some, some pilots with them and some other, you know, odd uh, shows here and there. And that's when Joe Schmo kind of came into my life. So Joe Schmo was produced by them? Correct. They were the production company. Got it. Um, Paul Wernick and Rhett Reese were the creators of the show. Okay. Um, They now are, you know, hit the big time with Deadpool and Zombieland. Oh, wow. That they wrote and created. And they're really uh, talented and smart uh, guys. Uh, And they had created this show, um, and it had been sold to um, TNN, the Nashville Network. Oh my God. I didn't remember that that was Spike, a right? Um, and this was actually, I think, it was like a wrestling first, network. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, and then Spike uh, came about, and this I think was Spike's first original show, the Joe Schmo show. Uh-huh. And my uh, producing partner at the time, Anthony Ross, um, uh, had been sort of tasked with like, why don't you guys come in? You guys are more reality producers. Yeah, Rhett and Paul really are more writers. Um, and help them kind of format out the show and figure out how the show actually works. Mm-hmm. Um, so we worked with them for uh, a while to kind of really schedule it out. It was really low budget. I think our budget was like, you know, under $400,000 an episode. And we had a lot to do in a very, very short amount of time. A lot of guild issues because right. most of the participants were actors. Um, you know, a lot of things we had to overcome. And we essentially shot 10 episodes in 10 days. That's insane for so, TV time. Insane. Not only for that, any time. 10, 10 hour days. So each episode a day, basically. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's brutal. And it was, except it wasn't. I have Because it was over with at the end of it? <laughs> no, no. It was the most smooth and awesome production I have ever been involved, wow. involved with. Um, we really had very, very few of those like crazy things that happened. It was very controlled, you know. Not from a, you know, from a creative standpoint, but, it, you know, because you have to kind of let it get off the rails a little bit. Yeah. But from a production standpoint, we, you know, it was smooth sailing the yeah. entire time, which made it kind of a, a great experience for yeah. all of us. It was really sort of, you could tell it was special. Wow. You know, I, I remember our cue card lady who who was a, a, an older woman and she was a delight. And, you know, she was one of those that shows up. Right. Does her work, right. goes doing home, it twenty years, been doing yeah. it forever, and she would stick around every night That's to funny. see how the story played out in huh. that episode, and because you could watch it all on monitors, and you know she just she felt and and I started realizing it was like wow these people yeah. are really you knew like, it was going to be in, something we're onto something yeah. there's something special here, um, and uh, yeah so then I continued on that through post. Uh, and helped out uh, in the edit to kind of shape the episodes. Uh-huh. And and then we went on to kind of do something else. And we sort of, it premiered, but there was no fanfare at the time mm-hmm. for us. Like, we were sort of in a weird bubble, Anthony and I. Yeah. And um, and so we, we occasionally people would tell us ratings, but I, right. I had no it's idea what it meant. Right. But it was a success. Like it it was was a huge success. We just didn't know that it was. It was the craziest thing. How many seasons did it go? uh, We only did two. Okay. Um, The first season did insane numbers. I think it was, at least for a very, very long time, maybe it still is, but it was the the highest rated uh, original program ever on 
on Spike. Wow. For for years. And um so and so we attempted a second season of it, which sort of suffered from the typical kind of, you know, challenges when you have a successful show. Everybody is sort of, you know, who who was the reason, who were the reasons, who knew what the ingredients were, right? right? Like everybody suddenly were an expert in how to make a hit <laughs> right, show, right. right? So let's and, ruin it. And exactly. So I, I think, you know, the network at the time, you know, were very intent on casting very, uh, very smart Joes. Mm-hmm. Um, and not that... Matt, who was the original, Josh Mo wasn't smart, but he was just more sort of naive and sweet. Right, and, which you know, is what made it work. Which was, exactly. And the joke wasn't always on him. Ultimately, mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. guess it was, but, you right. know, um, but it wasn't about punishing him and making him look like an idiot. Right. It really was to, you know, see what a really good, normal guy would do in this extraordinary situation. Yeah. Um, great premise. It was a great premise. And, you know, I think we all wondered if, we could do it again, you mm-hmm. know. Right. It, it, yeah. It sort of, oh, yeah. So, Everything's rebooting. So we found out we couldn't. <laughs> right. But maybe now. Now with time. Well, they did a third one. Did they? Recently, like in the last First couple spike? of years. First spike? Four spike. Didn't work. Uh, didn't work. Uh, for them. Sometimes, you know. Sometimes. It's just the reboots. <laughs> exactly. Okay. So um, you ended up going to Comedy Central in 2010. Mm-hmm. So almost eight years ago. What made you go from a long career as a producer to the network side? Mm-hmm. Um, a number of reasons. And a lot of it had to do with, uh, at the time I had, my son was about two years, a year or two years old. Mm-hmm. And um, and that puts life into it a does. different context. It does. Um, and I also had become rather disillusioned, I think, with <laughs> the state of, non-scripted television um there was always this push like we talked about of forcing moments to happen mm-hmm. essentially kind of scripting out a reality show which yeah. always felt insane to me and I, I really became disillusioned with a lot of the executives that i worked with having no sort of real um passion for great storytelling mm-hmm. it really was just about creating moments that you know, could cut through the clutter. Mm-hmm. And I really didn't like that. Yeah. You know? It, it started felt, feeling demoralizing. Yeah, it felt like, I'm like, you know, at, at at VH1, when I worked with them, they had had some success, obviously, with, uh, I think, Flavor of Love. And Classic. And I think one of the <laughs> contestants on one episode had shit themselves right. and shit on the floor. Let me guess, number one rated episode. <laughs> exactly. Oh, God. And That's when so you knew you were done. Jokingly, in a, in a very sort of like cynical way, right. everybody was always looking for that shit on the floor moment. <laughs> and I hated that. Like, yeah. I was like, how the fuck can I tell my son right. what I do? It's right. like, oh, daddy looks for shit on the floor moments. And that's what I do. I, I couldn't live with myself Good for doing you. that kind I of love stuff. It. And and I, I really didn't like that part of it. Yeah. Now, that's not to say there's a lot of talented people and a lot of good content uh, and programs being made in that space. But uh, I was really sort of – but the majority of it was not. Right. right? It was filler. Agree. Yep. And I didn't want to make filler. Mm-hmm. I wanted to – like I have uprooted my life, moved here – 
this was not where I wanted to be. Right. You didn't you didn't come an, an eager backpack 19-year-old with $2,000 from Denmark to take a shit on the floor. Exactly. Or watch or produce somebody or, doing or it. Or produce that. Yeah. That, that did not appeal to me at all. And not to say that that's, you know, what the goal was every time, but... You know, there was, it was lowest base denominator. I mean, lowest, lowest common denominator yeah. on on, and I, that just didn't appeal to me. Yeah, it didn't. It wasn't what I wanted to watch. Right, and I wanted to make something that I wanted to watch. Now, was comedy always an interest of yours? Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, I think, I it working on the Joe Schmo show, which was That's really, a comedy show, right. really kind of like put me on that path yeah. more. And you know, I I certainly started spending more time, you know. Um, you know, tracking comedy and, mm-hmm. and knowing who's, you know, who's who. Mm-hmm. Um, but it wasn't until I really got to Comedy Central that I got a very um, uh, intense um, um, immersion immersion into to comedy. Um, did you, did they come calling for you? Like, how'd you get the job? So it was kind of a, as everything happens in this business, sort of, um, sort of a, a happy coincidence. Yeah. Um, um, my good friend Sharon Levy. Uh, mm. It always coming. comes back to Sharon. She always comes back. I need to get to, Sharon I, needs I, to get in here. I love Sharon. I owe her. Uh, she was also an executive producer on the Joe, Joe Schmo Schmo show. God, she was there um, a while, huh? Yeah, um, and she was great. And she was a really great champion. Yeah, uh, of mine, and uh, I owe her a, a great deal um, in 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 that regard. Uh, but um, she had a birthday getaway. And some friends of hers and, you know, we all kind of gathered in Napa Valley. Nice. Uh, or was it Sonoma? Whatever. Anyway, we were enough. drunk. Um, and um, Elizabeth Porter, who worked at Comedy Central, was okay. one of her close friends. Um, and um, Elizabeth and I hit it off. Uh, we had known each other sort of socially for, you know, a couple of years. Mm-hmm. But, you know, um, after that trip, she called me sort of out of the blue and she said um, – you ever consider going to the dark side? And I said, you mean network side? <laughs> you knew right away. And I, she goes, yeah. And I said, I said, no, I actually hadn't. Right. Because <laughs> I didn't want to be part, because I'd seen, you know, having worked as a producer, I'd seen sort of the other side. And I was like, man, I don't know. Chachi it's... literally just told me the exact same story. <laughs> That's how it's she fun. got her hooks into but, him too. Yeah. I, I love mean, it. you know, I'd kind of seen sort of like, some of the execs that I had worked with, mm-hmm. uh, I worked with a lot of great execs, yeah. but some of them just weren't good. You yeah. know, they had no experience and they were telling me how to do my job oh, and I, I didn't, didn't love that at all. <laughs> um, so I didn't want to get into a situation like that. Yeah. Um, but it was Comedy Central and um, it was actually a channel that I watched. And I was like, wow, well, maybe there is. And that's then, like, like the dream. It, it, like if you're going to go to the dark side, that's the dream dark side. And that was sort of what hit me. Because it's not even a dark side. I was like, why am I not like jumping all over this? Right. So, <laughs> What's wrong with you? Um, so I went in and I, you know, we talked a little bit about it and she offered me the job. And and um, it was as uh, vice president of um, specials at the time. And she needed someone to come in and, and help her um, – Kind of like you know, streamline the 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 process and maybe bring in some more productions, mm-hmm. all this stuff, bring some more sort of actual on the ground yeah. expertise to yeah. the, to the party. Um, and um, so I jumped at the opportunity and and started, and then uh, Elizabeth left uh, the company um, about six or eight months into my time. Oh wow! 
Um, and uh, and then I threw my hat in the ring for her job. Um, and uh, Kent, my boss. Kent uh, Alterman, right? Kent Alterman. Yes, who I've heard wonderful things about. He is awesome. Uh, and uh, another person that I owe a, a great deal of my career to. Um, but he was there, and, you know, I remember him going, like, I don't know about this kid, you know, like, <laughs> right, sure. seems all right, but, right. you know, um, <laughs> but probably not the right fit to run the talent and specialist department. So he said to me, he's like, I appreciate it, but, you know, I'm going to, you know, look at some different, <laughs> you know, options, and, you know, we'll keep talking about it. And I said, okay, fair enough. And, and, um, and then the, um, we had this opportunity to do uh, the roast of Charlie Sheen. Oh, yeah. Yes. No one at Comedy Central really wanted to touch it with a 10-foot pole. He was obviously in a— That was in the midst of all his mania. It was right smack in the middle of, right. uh, of his spiral. And did you think it was a good idea? I thought—this is what I said to Ken. I said, this is going to be the highest-rated program we have ever done. Mm-hmm. But— um, there's no way, like, we're, there's no way we should enable someone who is an addict and just kick him on the way down. I don't want to do that with the roast. I really wanted to, you know, change the paradigm that the roast had sort of, you know, fallen under, mm-hmm. where it was, you know, kind of, you know, people on the, on the tail end of their careers, <laughs> kind of getting the last few kind of kicks in or the right. last bit of 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 um, attention and. And also, weren't you just nervous that he wouldn't show up? Like, to me, just the liability of him, and he's so erratic and unpredictable. But I also felt like, you know, let's have a conversation with him. Let's just meet with him. Right. And if if we think that he is so far gone, let's not do it. But let's at least have a sit-down with him. Did you go to his Um, house? So we went to to his house, um, (laughs) and— and he showed up. I think he showed up like twenty minutes late, and I was like, oh. at his own house. <laughs> and he didn't look good, you know. Right. He you looked knew like, he was. He, I was like, wow, yeah. he is. Uh, he's been. Uh, he's not a bender. But he was so sharp, you know. He's he was brilliant, so isn't he? Funny, and like you know, in tune with everything. He was and self-aware. Really, and that was the thing That's that, that really struck us. Like, yeah, this guy is. There is a reason Charlie Sheen is Charlie Sheen. Wow, I didn't know the self awareness part. Oh my god, yeah, he's he was very you know like he had a very sort of like um, humorous kind of like and on the joke. Yeah. Wow. Um, I think he played into it. It was like him a little bit acting out. Yeah. Now in hindsight, that now that we knew now that we know that he was HIV positive and just found out, right? It sort of makes sense that he was kind of acting out against all this stuff, right? Um, But. but he was so charming and so um, smart and insightful that we were just charmed by him. And we decided, let's take a chance. We know what the risks are. Um, we talked about, you know, talked to his his reps about, you know, is he is he clean? Is he, you know, and and ish. <laughs> and you know, to be honest, I I think he actually went through some sort of you know private rehab right. that you know obviously. Uh, was never really discussed, but yeah. um, I don't know the details. He of seemed it, sober for the roast. I'll say that he was. Yeah, and you know he kept it together, and he was just a delight. I yeah, mean, he would show up to set. I remember when we were shooting promos with him, he would show up, and he was um, sharp as attack. He would look at the script, he'd have it memorized, hmm. he would know exactly how to play it, 
and he had a blast. And I think he had a really good time working with us. And it was nice. We had this sort of, like, he had been, you know, ostracized, essentially. But he had this one little Comedy Central family. Yeah, right. And, and it was awesome. So that put points on the board for you because it worked out so Correct. Excellently. So, <laughs> so, yeah. So then it ended up being our highest rated, you wow. know, ever? program Still? ever. For a um, roast? Yes. Wow. Uh, uh-huh. Aha, he beat Trump. He did <laughs> by miles. Love it. Um, so, yeah. And then, you know, I think Kent uh, finally was like, all right. Fine, we'll give the This kid is not a how chance. he remembers it, but this is how I remember it. <laughs> That's funny. Um, he was like, all right, I'll give you the. The, the the job and you know it seemed to make sense um so that's kind of how i got to my first sort of part of the journey at, uh, at Love comedy, it. Uh, comedy central the roasts seem like so much fun they're I, a blast right like are there are there more coming up yeah there you know we typically do one a year well i was gonna say they're not yeah. which is probably why it's so good because you can't get sick of it you can't you know who's the next one can you say i can't say oh but soon Will it be a woman? We need more women, right? <laughs> We're working on Joe it. Joe Remembers is dead, I although know. it's like men are more fun to make fun of. That's true. I don't know if that's <laughs> yeah. true. I don't know if that's true. It really is just about finding the right person yeah. who wants to do it. Right. You know, it's very hard to book the roast. It's not an oh, You should do job. Hillary. If she'd do it, I'd she'd do it in a heartbeat. Never. She's funny, though. I mean, I think she has I, a listen, sense of humor. If she wants to do it, and, right. you know, Hillary, I, if you're listening— Hillary. Um, yes, Hillary listens. She's, yeah, we, we talk about yeah. things, yeah. <laughs> I bet you're thinking about Barack Obama. Uh, yeah, I don't know if he'd be that much fun to roast. Yeah. This seems like, you know, he's like such a cool he's, Yeah, exactly. I mean, like, right, like nothing you, know, you can say will phase him. It would him. be fun, and of course, you know, if, if he called right. up one day. Right, you're not going to turn him down. We're not going to turn him down, but I I also, there's not a lot What's of, to roast? He's amazing. Exactly, there's not right. a lot of good material on right. him, really. Right, it's true. Um, so what's Jeff Ross like to work with, the roast master? The roast master general? He's the best. He I seems, love Jeff. yeah. You guys did a really great job with those prison roasts. I uh-huh. watched the two specials, oh, cool. the guys and then yeah, the women. Thanks. Really turned it on its head. I uh-huh. thought it was really, really interesting and saw a different side of Jeff, mm-hmm. you know, because you're used to just the clown. Yeah. I mean, honestly, because yeah. he just comes to the roast with, you know, it's like he puts it on. But this was like a more sensitive, intellectual, you know, kind of more documentarian mm-hmm. side, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah. It, pushed, it pushed it to a different yeah. genre, which was really, really brave, I thought. Yeah. I mean, that that's one of the most exciting projects, you know. Was that done. his idea? Sort of. I mean, yeah. it was, it was, after he had a show on Comedy Central called The Burn. Yes. And uh, when that ended. That was um, like where they competed to roast? Two people competed to roast? Or am no, I confusing that? It was sort of a panel show where they would go in and kind of roast, roast each, the, other. each other Got and it. the events of the, of the week. And it was a really funny show. But for whatever reason, it, it you know, we, we ended it after, I think, two seasons. Um, and. I love Jeff, and I think as a, a little bit of a make good, we we kind of said, all right, well, let's do some specials, Got it. you know, and and uh, and keep him sort of, you know, um, in the family. Yeah. And I remember sitting down with him. He came in, and I remember sitting. He was sitting on top of the conference table, um, and uh, he why was, I don't know because he's, he's Jeff, Jeff, right? And, <laughs> why not? Uh, 
And we were talking about sort of like different ideas yeah. and what we could do. We had done a special, or I had done a special with him called Jeff Ross Roast America, where he basically just traveled around. Yeah, sort of I think I saw that. Roast, which yeah. is, you know, part of his his thing. And um, and we talked a little bit about sort of what to do, and he had a bunch of different ideas. And 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 if you know Jeff, he has a gazillion ideas, mm. you know. Um but I, on the burn, he had done this one segment, which had always stood out to me as something really, really special. He had he and his girlfriend at the time had been, um, I think it's in Florida, wherever those crazy Westboro Baptist Church uh, people <laughs> probably hang out. Florida, um, Jacksonville, probably that sounds sounds, right. <laughs> sounds like the place they'd be, um, and uh, and Virginia had shot uh, Jeff on her cell phone. Mm-hmm. Um, as he walks up to these two yahoos with signs out in front saying, you know, God's, God hates fags or whatever, <laughs> you know, like horrible Love. things that they, they would right. spew. People. And he started engaging in a conversation with them, started roasting them. Hmm. And the most like, amazing mm-hmm. thing happened. They, they started sort of like their facade started mm-hmm. coming down. They mm-hmm. recognized him. He's like, oh, yeah, you're that guy yeah. that roasts people. Huh. And what happened was they engaged in a real conversation. And I remember going like, wow, if you can take that mm-hmm. and put that on a bigger sort of canvas. Nice. That to me is you have a you have an ability, or Jeff has an ability to connect with people. Like he uses roasting as a way in. It's a way to sort of like normalize or equalize people. It's a to get people down to the same level so that you can actually have a conversation. I was like, there is something there. You could be a voice. And I think he was, it was appealing to him, but also sort of, at first I think he resisted it a little bit because he's like, I'm not, that's not what I yeah, do, right? right? <laughs> I'm a comedian. Um, but I knew because he has this wonderful heart. And he's yeah, just he's, a, em- he's know, empathetic. Well, his story a, is incredible. I mean, I know, yeah, yeah. you know, his parents dying and everything. Yeah. He's, he's a survivor. Yeah. Uh, it, yeah, well, that that's, and, and you're also responsible for, Drunk history. I am not responsible. Well, for come drunk on, John. Uh, okay. Uh, well, I created drunk history. <laughs> exactly. It's your show. I produced and directed. No, right. I, I, I uh, had nothing to do with the development of drunk history. Drunk history came in under Jim Sharp, my predecessor in my current job. Um, and oh, really? Developed. Yeah. So it's been because that's been on since season five now. But it started before you got to Comedy Central? No, it started while I was there. But okay. I, I didn't. Got it. Okay. I, I didn't have anything. All right. Well, I want to give you credit for it because it's a great show. <laughs> I'll take it. You'll take right. it. You'll take it. I'll take it. So what's most fun part? I mean, I, literally when I say it's a dream job, I mean, mm-hmm. I just love comedy so much and I listen to pop, yeah. you know comedy podcasts and I watch your network a ton. Um, I could, you know, I could imagine if I ever wanted to go to a network, that would be just the most fun place to work because you're just with creative, hilarious people all day. Is it is it as good as it's – obviously, you're not going to say it's bad, but <laughs> is it – you know – It's awful. Right. I mean – It's just right, – right. I mean, you want to kill yourself. Let me just tell you, can, right. this should be an intervention. <laughs> okay. Um, no, I <laughs> – it is, it is without a doubt the best place I have ever worked. And – I would tell you if I felt otherwise. I wouldn't be there if I felt right. Otherwise. It's now going I'm on. I'm not a person that sticks around right. just because I need a job. Right. Um, so, I, you know, I got there and you start realizing, oh, this is a collection of very sort of like-minded people who all kind of like have a love, obviously, of comedy, but also 
have sort of a feel like they're part of a bigger mission. You know, I think what's unique about, <clears throat> excuse me, um, what's unique about Comedy Central is that our programming tend to have a very strong po- point of view on the world and really ref- try to reflect the world around mm-hmm. us. Um, it's not just, you know, sort of like fart jokes. And, and, well, yeah, I mean, Amy Schumer's show, which I watched religiously, mm-hmm. I'm bummed it's not on anymore, but that was a perfect example. I mean, she took on you know, so many feminist issues and so, you know, turn sort of the, the frat guy humor on its head, but in a way where, you know, my dad watches it, my bro- my brother, my husband watches it, you know, like it really appealed to guys too. And it's not because like Amy's some model. It's because like it, she found a way to make that cultural, rel- culturally relevant mm-hmm. message, you know, s- appeal to the masses. Right. I don't know if I'm making it sound yeah. over intellectual, but... Um, we are getting to the end, so I want to ask you a few stock questions. Sure. Um, and I feel like we might have covered some of this, but I'm curious <laughs> what your reaction will be. Sure. So the first is, what is your proudest accomplishment? Hmm. In your besides your wife and your child. Uh, I was going to say, man, yeah. I, I could. That's always the easy, easy way out. out, and I won't easy allow. Out. I won't allow it anymore. <sighs> proudest accomplishment. I don't really look at it like that. Oh. I look at my career as my proudest accomplishment. <laughs> right. The fact that you have one. Because I don't think I, you know, like I, every single thing that I've been involved with has its own unique set mm-hmm. set of sort of like pluses and minuses and, and good times and bad times. Um, so it's not creating drunk history? It's not creating drunk history. <laughs> um, I am very, ha- you know, proud of the work that we've done on the roast mm-hmm. and how we have expanded that sort of franchise beyond just the Comedy Central roast. There's Roast Battle. There's the Jeff Ross roast, Mm -hmm. you know, and it has become kind of a thing. It's become sort of a – it became popular again, you know, with with then later on James Franco and Justin Mm -hmm. Bieber and really tapping into kind of the zeitgeist. Yeah. And and so – and it started sort of this, you know, new resurgence of – of roasting around the country. Yeah. And that I'm And people don't know that's very... a really old genre from the oh Friars God, yeah. Club back in the day in yeah. like the forties with Don Rickles and yeah. yeah so no, it's 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 that's been very cool. for I, a long time. I'm a huge roast fan. Yeah. I mean I know some people it's not for them because it's like too mean, but I the, to me I, I love it all. It's <laughs> you know, I, I always sort of like and I get it if if you can't laugh at yourself though. I mean the, the, the is goal exactly is it. to go too far. It's like I'm a huge Howard yeah. Stern fan. So to me if you can't laugh at everything, then you're taking yourself too seriously. It is. It's a healing pr- process. It, it, exactly. I mean, when we do the roast, we always sort of, you know, people are always terrified, right? right. Whenever anybody does the roast, right, they're the terrified. Subject, yeah. What are they going to bring up? What yeah, are, you know, what right. are they going to hit me on? That kind of stuff. And, you know, we're not going to be meaner than anything you can read and read right. in, on YouTube. Unless on it's Ann Coulter. Section, you know, like, <laughs> listen, Ann, Ann Coulter uh, was, uh, Ugh, you know, decided brutal. not to listen right. to our advice. And That's what I heard. just do her own thing. Yeah, how'd that go over? Uh, not well. <laughs> not well. For her. I mean, she it was looked great. like a complete idiot. She she did. And and listen, we, we worked hard to make her look as good as we could. Yeah, she walked know, into like, shit. It was her own fault. It was. It was. It, I. 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 I would take full responsibility if if it was us. But right, you didn't I, set her up. She set herself. Provided up. her all the tools, and she decided not to take them. Ugh, I can't with her. All right. So, do you have any regrets? I'm guessing not, based on your <laughs> previous answer. I really don't. I. Yeah. I. I'm. 
again, not one to sort of look back and go like, oh, I wish I'd done yeah, that. Right. Because there's nothing I can do to change it. Yeah. Right. I can learn from it. Yes. Right. Agree. And I can I can address and, and adapt how I do things in the future. So I don't really regret things. Um, you know, sometimes when you make a decision, like I, I had an opportunity. I'll give you one thing. Okay. It's not a really a regret, but it's sort of like a missed opportunity. Right. right? So I had a, a, we had a deal, my producing partner, Anthony, and I had a deal with uh, ABC to do some pilots and we did a series for them. And it could have been a great series. What was it called? Can you say? Um, yeah, it was called Masters of Champions. Okay. And, you know, for, for the four people that watched it, right. you know, thank you. I don't remember. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it was not a very memorable show. Okay, but it's still a, a network competition but here's show. The That's thing. huge. We, and, and I think this would be a sort of a good yeah. sort of lesson for, for someone. Um, <laughs> but we um, were approached to do this sort of um, American version of a Japanese kind of game show. Mm -hmm. And um, and we redeveloped. Oh, sorry. Okay. Um, so we were approached to do this Japanese, uh, American version of a Japanese game show. And we redeveloped it. And um, But we said we should probably shoot a pilot first, you know, because the network really wanted to go straight to series. And we were sort of uncomfortable with that. And we said, we don't want to do it unless we can do a pilot first. So if you want to have someone else do it, that's fine. And ABC said, uh, that makes sense. We'll do a pilot. So we started budging out the pilot, started planning it. And then they called us and they said, you know... We really don't want to do the pilot. We want to go just go straight to series. Mm. And now we had been so you know heavily invested, and we debated. And we we're like, this is not a good idea. Yeah. But how are you going to say no? Right? Yeah, you can't say no to that. And you know, it was big budget. You know, I, I can't remember what the budget was. Right. But, you know, they spent a lot of money. Network on competition thing. budget. Yeah, yeah. And and they wanted to compete with America's Got Talent, which Ooh. was coming out at the time. So they were just pouring money into this right. thing. So we, it wasn't a, a budgetary issue, but we just knew that, you know, we had from, from that phone call to air was six weeks. No. Mm -hmm. To the series? Mm -hmm. That's a recipe for disaster. Yes. And it was. <laughs> and it was uh, a, an unmitigated disaster in, in some ways. In other ways, it, it sort of worked. But, you know, um, but it was the hardest thing I've ever done. And I should have listened to my gut. Yeah. I should have not done that, mm -hmm. you know? Um, but that's a good example. It actually circles back to the beginning of what you said about you didn't care about the money. You just cared about the passion, which is, and I found this in my career too, when I've made a decision about for the money or for the easiest mm -hmm. grab, it's been a mistake. Yeah. So I think that is actually a great, uh, a great lesson. Yeah. Um, what are the top three shows that you like watching with, you know, with your kids, without your kids? Um, I love Game of Thrones. Got. I, I love uh, Silicon Valley. Mm, love. Uh, I'm really bummed that um, TJ TJ is gone. Yeah, but he's slamming my friend Alec. My husband's buddies with Alec. Burr oh, really? From their golfing buddies, and uh, and like he's slamming him every chance he gets. It's very rude. No, no, no. Don't like I, that. You know. TJ, bad form. But yeah, he will be missed on the show. Probably shouldn't be doing that. No. But um, but he is a genius, and I love him, and and yeah. he is, uh, you know. A good pal and and oh, sorry, but, no, 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 it's, it's okay. I mean, listen, you know, I'm sure he knows, you know. Um, so uh, what else? Do I, you know, Veep. Are you a Veep fan? I like. I love Veep. Oh, Veep is, so is such a great show. So Insecure. Good. I really like Fleabag. Uh, I have to I, see that's Amazon. It's an amazing. Right? It's, an it's amazing, is it British? So funny. Yeah. Okay, that's on my list. Um, really, really smart. Oh God, there's so much good stuff. Right. Out there. It's overwhelming. It's, it's 
way too much good stuff. I know. And I kind of feel bu- I'm, I'm bummed that there is so much good stuff that it's paralyzing. You know, when you're, uh, you tell look me about up, it. what am I going to watch? Well, guess what? I made the dumb mistake of somehow starting on Suits, the USA show. Uh-huh. It's now in its seventh season. And I started because I'm like, what? Like, I have some friends who like... I'm now like knee deep and I have like five seasons to go. I mean, I've now there's like no, 10 got, other shows. You're committed. You now I'm it. committed. I'm like, I can't stop now. So I, d- yeah. I suggest, you know, doing a one season binge and right. moving on. And because I've really gotten myself in a quagmire. <laughs> <laughs> Let that be a lesson. Well, this was so fun. Thank you. Thank I'm you. so, so happy you came on. This is, you're one of the really great executives in the business. And we, we like working with nice people. So that's good. It's a good thank thing. And, uh, and thanks for telling us about everything. My pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for having me.